Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Chris Rowley. I get to serve here as one of the elders, and uh, I'm excited to jump into the Bible with you this morning. Why don't we begin by praying? Father, I want to thank you that you've been here with us already. In fact, uh, you're always with us, and we're asking today for you to do something supernatural here in this room. God, would you take these words that were written so many thousands of years ago, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you use them in this church to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives to reflect your kingdom here on this earth? God, we pray that you would do something incredible here. Lord, as we open up your incredible word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure by now you figured out that there are some people who like change. There's some people who always love when things change. And there are other people that do not like change. Like, if you moved one of these seats just a little bit differently, it would bother some people. Everybody interacts with change a little bit differently. Some people really freak out when there's change. And other people seem to really thrive in seasons of change. I'm still trying to figure out how to be one of those people, but there are often different periods of transition that we find ourselves in. Maybe you transition to a new job or a new geographic location, or you, you get a new house or a new community. Maybe someone that you love has left your life. Maybe they've passed away, and that transitional period has been difficult. Transitions are hard for a lot of different reasons for every type of person. Technology is another one of those things that's always changing, right? I have someone in my family who I love very much, they, they finally transitioned from a flip phone to an iPhone, and this was, this was a big deal for our family. Now, style is another thing that's always changing. I know it's hard to imagine, but no one has ever asked me for fashion advice. <laughs> Never, not even once. I don't think anybody ever even had the thought of asking me, how do I transition from, from this fashion that they never come to me to ask for advice? <laughs> Things are changing oftentimes, and I think you're going to see in the Bible this morning that God cares about this important transition that his people are going through. In fact, we're going to pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 29 at this point in the story of the people of Israel where they are at one of their most significant transition periods that they will ever face. <clears throat> Last week, we learned that uh, God had rescued his people from Egypt. God had brought his people through the Sinai Desert. God had given his people the Ten Commandments, and the people were just about to enter into the land that God promised them when their stubbornness and their rebellion prohibited them from going there, and God caused them to wander for another 40 years on the Sinai Peninsula, waiting for the next generation to be born and raised up before they would enter into the promised land. So believe it or not, this week we're picking up 40 years later from where we were last week. And for the people of Israel, this is a big change. Imagine if you were to get a new lead pastor and a new president and a new neighborhood all in the same season. That would be a lot of change, right? And that's kind of what's going on for the Jewish people where we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 29. 
We're going to cover a ton of scripture today, a lot of territory, but we're going to try to pull out three big things that God does and Moses does with God to help prepare his people for this season of transition. The first thing that God does to prepare his people is that God puts first things first. He tells his people to choose life. In chapters 29 and 30, we're going to see that God is asking the next generation of Israelites whether or not they will choose to follow him, whether or not they will choose life. We're dealing right now in chapters 29 and 30 with the children and the grandchildren of the people who originally left Egypt. It's been 40 years. And God is asking this next generation, are you ready to commit to me? These are Moses' words from chapter 30, verse 19. Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God and obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. There's a real serious choice here for God's people. There are these two paths laid out in front of the Israelites and this new generation. The next, the one path is to choose God and to choose life, and that's the path that leads to blessing and joy. And the other choice, the other path is a path that leads to death and curse. And of course, Moses here in this text, he's pleading with this next generation of people, will you choose the path of life? Will you choose the path of joy and relationship and covenant with God? Now, I know that there's some people here and maybe some young people who, when you hear this, you think, oh, yeah, I get it. I know. God just, he just wants us all to get in line. He doesn't want the next generation, the young people to have any fun. God just wants them to get in line, follow him, and do what he says, and and have this joyless existence. But that is not God's motivation for calling the next generation of Israelites to follow him. Because you see this in verse 19. It says, choose life. Why? That you and your offspring may live. God wants the richest and most blessed life for this next generation of people. God cares so much about the next generation choosing him. Why? Because he wants them to experience the joy and the blessing that is promised to those who will follow and commit to God. You see throughout these chapters, God knows that his people, they're, they're going to wander all over the place. He knows that his people are going to forget about him. He knows that his people are going to reject him. But he's pleading with the next generation, with the young people, choose life, choose God. Because life is what you're really looking for. Do You ever hear somebody say, like, don't jump on that couch Don't jump on that couch. If you jump on that couch or you jump on that bed, you're going to fly off and you're going to bonk your head on the windowsill and you're going to cry and there's going to be blood everywhere and everything's going to be bad. Does that only happen in my life? Okay. I haven't jumped on the couch this week, but 
I've heard that that happens sometimes. And seriously, have you ever sat down across from somebody, maybe in a more serious setting, and you sit down with them and you look them in the eye and you say, don't do that. Don't go down that path. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt everybody around you. It's going to cause pain. You're going to regret it. Have you ever had that conversation? That's what God is doing in these three chapters, 29, 30, 31. He's saying to his people, look, right in front of you, there's a choice. Choose life. Choose God. And I need to say this to the younger people here at Calvary, in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s. You may not realize this. You may not think about this, but... You are the next generation of this church. There's not a plan B. There's not another group of young people your age. You are the next generation of this church. And God is calling the next generation of Calvary Church to choose life. Choose God. Why? Because God is the path of life. God is the one that can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and your soul. Beneath the longings for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife or a good job or doing well in sports or getting into a good college or being popular, but beneath all those other longings that we all feel, there is a deeper longing that can only be satisfied by God in relationship with him, and he knows this. And God is calling the young people in this church, will you choose him? Because he has chosen you and he loves you so much. Please talk with me. Talk with one of the leaders of the church. Email the church. If you're ready, if you're interested in choosing God and taking that next step in your faith. God gets his people ready to enter into this new land first by putting first things first. And then we see in chapter 31 that God and Moses reassure the frightened people. This is the second thing God does to get them ready. God and Moses reassure the frightened people. Verse 1 of chapter 31, Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. Moses is getting old. He's almost at the end of his journey on the earth. And like I said, this is a big transition period for God's people. They're going to be losing their leader, Moses. And they're right on the verge of finally getting to where they've always wanted to be. You can see the map here. They're, they're just on the east side of the Jordan River. They're, they're getting ready to cross over this river. And God says to them, you're ready to go across, but he says to Moses, Moses, you're not the one to take your people there. Now, this would definitely be reason to freak out. If you were an Israelite at this point, this would be cause for alarm. Think of everything you went through with this guy, Moses. You and Moses walked through all kinds of crazy things. Moses was the one that led you out of Egypt. 
Moses was the one who came down from the mountain with God's law for you. Moses was the one that God used to provide all these incredible miracles. And here you, you're right on the edge of crossing over that line into the land that God has promised you. And God says, Moses is done. Moses is not going with you. At this very significant turning point for the people of Israel, Moses is retiring? He can't retire. I mean, he's dying. I, I guess he doesn't have a choice. But at this significant turning point, the one that they have looked to again and again and again, the one who has related directly with God on behalf of his people, he's out of the picture. What in the world is God going to do? And I can imagine that some of you in this room, you've gone through transitions like that, right? Where you feel maybe geographically you're transitioning. Maybe the road ahead for you right now, it looks a little bumpy, doesn't it? Some of us have gone through transitions like that. Maybe the person that you've looked to for a long time is no longer in the picture. And we're wondering, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Who's going to take care of us? What about the food? What about the this? What about the finances? What's going to happen now that Moses is out of the picture? And Moses sets up this amazing contrast in verse 2 and verse 3. You've got to see this. Look, look at what he says. He says, the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. Moses, he's not crossing over that river. But you know who is? God. God is crossing that river, even though Moses is. And sometimes it's, it's easy to underestimate how significant it is that God has promised his presence. Because I can imagine if I was there, like Moses told me this, hey, uh, you guys are going across, but I'm not going with you, but God is going to be with you. I might be tempted to say, hey, Moses, that's really great. I'm super happy that God is going with us, but it would be really awesome if you could go too, because uh, kind of relying on you here. And we can tend to do that with, with leaders sometimes. We can tend to, to elevate leaders. We can tend to put leaders up high on a pedestal and make them a little bit bigger than they should be. And, and over here, we make God a little bit smaller than he should be. But I think that Moses understood it. I think Moses gets this. I think Moses realizes it's a little more significant that God is going with you than me going with you. Look at what Moses says in verse 3 again. The Lord your God himself will go before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. See, these people were scared. They were losing their shepherd. But Moses reminds them, God is going with you, and he's the one, ultimately, at the end of the day, that has the power to do what needs to be done once you cross that river in the first place. And because of that, verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Okay, there's a little encouragement here. And the encouragement has two parts. It's got the action part for God's people. Be strong and courageous. And over here is this objective reality that God will not leave you. God won't forsake you. God's with you. So be strong and courageous. God is with you. Okay? Now, sometimes 
when we're walking through some trials or transitions or periods where you're feeling fear, people can kind of throw out a Bible verse like this as if it was a Band-Aid to make you feel all better. They just throw out the Bible verse Band-Aid at you when you tell them you're afraid, and they're like, here, take this Bible verse Band-Aid. It's going to make everything better. Anybody ever had that happen? Sometimes the Bible verse Band-Aid doesn't totally work because maybe we don't totally understand what it means and why it's so significant that God has promised his presence to be with them, okay? This is not just like this this little shallow promise that God is making to his people that I'm going to be with you. When we understand how significant it is that God has promised to be with his people, I think then we'll understand why this is not a a Bible verse band-aid that we're just throwing on as as an add-on promise to try to make us feel better, but that this promise has some real significance to it. The The deeper we dig down into it. So I want to show you what it means in the immediate context that God's presence is with his people. The the idea of God's presence being with his people is all throughout the Bible. Like, Like literally from the beginning to the end, there's so many different places you could look to understand what does it mean that God's presence is with us. But we don't have time to do that all today. And I want you anyways to look just with me at the immediate context here in Deuteronomy to see what does it mean and why is it so significant that even though Moses is leaving, God has promised his presence. And there's three things we learn about God's promised presence from this text. The first one is this. When God promises his presence, it means that God's power is going to act on behalf of his people. God's presence is linked with God's power. We see this in Deuteronomy 29, verse 2 to verse 6. You've seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, and those great wonders. God is saying, hey, my presence is going to be with you. And remember what it meant when my presence was with you in Egypt? You remember what happened in Egypt? You remember the miraculous way that I acted on your behalf in Egypt? Well, God is saying, hey, my presence with you means that that same power that was working in Egypt is now going to be working for you as you cross that Jordan River. The second thing that God's presence means is this, God's loving care is going to be with his people. And we get this from Deuteronomy 29, verse 5. God says, I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. God's presence with his people means God's loving care is with his people. God cared for those people for 40 years faithfully as they were on the Sinai Peninsula. And the third piece, the third big idea of of what it means that God's presence is with his people is that God's faithfulness is with his people. God is faithful to his people. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, be strong and courageous. Don't fear or be in dread of them. The Lord goes with you. And get the end of this verse, verse 6. He will not leave you or forsake you. God is so faithful to his people. And as you read the words of chapters 29 to 32, we see that God continues to be faithful to his people, even though his people refuse to be faithful to him. 
God's faithfulness to us is steady, even though we're not steady towards him. And I know, as I said before, that I'm certain there are many here in this room who are walking through seasons of transition. Maybe God is doing something new in your life. Maybe it's something that you didn't want. And you're finding yourself in this season of transition. And I want you to know that God's presence is with you. And that means that God's power is working for you. And that God's loving care is promised to you. And that God is faithful, faithful to you always. And I know also, as I say that, that there's some who hear those words. You hear the words that God's power is working for you and that God's presence is with you and that God's care is for you and, and you don't feel it. I'm sure there's some of you right now, you hear this and you're like, I, I don't feel God's presence with me. I'm not seeing his power working in me. I'm not feeling like he cares for me. And isn't that the truth of what so many of us feel and so many of us experience Sometimes our, our feelings just don't match up with this objective reality of God's presence. And I don't want you to be afraid to cry out to God in those seasons when you don't feel his power and you don't sense his presence. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to cry out to your God. He's not afraid of hearing your raw emotions and the more you know the Bible, the more you see that the Bible is full of people who cry out to God in seasons when they wonder where God was in their lives. God cares about his people. He's getting his people ready for this important transition. And the third thing that God does is that God working with Moses takes some real concrete steps to make plans for the future. And we see in chapter 31, verse 10 to 11, that Moses creates this rhythm. He creates this seven-year rhythm by which the people are regularly going to hear the words of God and, and the whole community of Israel is going to get together every seven years to be reminded of what God said and what God is doing. You see this in Chapter 31, verse 10 and 11, Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes together to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. God and Moses, they cared about the people having a clear vision of what God expected of his people. And it was in this rhythm that Moses created for the people of God that they would continually have God's words put in front of them so that they would know what God expects of them and so that they might remember who the God is who has called them into this relationship. The second thing that God does to prepare the people is that a new leader is commissioned. You see this in chapter 31, verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. 
call Joshua and present yourself in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. I love how in verse 14, it's God who chooses the next leader, right? God has done this. God cares about this transition. God cares about his people. There's no power struggle. God has selected the right person to carry the baton and to lead his people across that river. And then the third thing that God instructs the people to do and instructs Moses to do to get them ready for this transition, this one's going to surprise you. You're going to hear this. You're going to think, what? That's part of the plan? How is that part of the transition plan? The third thing God tells them to do is God tells Moses to write a song. Okay? And Brandon is like, amen. Yeah. Write a song. Verse 19 of chapter 31. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. God knew that once they crossed that river, the people were going to forget all about him. God knew that the people were going to wander this way and that way, but God knew there's something special about a song, isn't there? Something about music, right? It gets stuck in your head. I know some of you leave this place on a Sunday afternoon, and you're like, you got a song stuck in your head that you were singing Sunday morning. We, in, in my house, we have three little boys, and we love the Lego movies, okay? Any Lego movie lovers here? Okay, we're into all of the Lego movies, okay? And in the Lego movie 2, there is this song. It's called the catchy song. And this song is catchy. The words actually go like this. This song's going to get stuck inside your head, okay? <laughs> now it's stuck in your head, right? And literally, this song is more sticky than any song I've ever heard in my entire life. And it it gets stuck in your head. But you know what? God, whether it's like Bieber, God knew that songs get stuck in people's heads. And this is how God chose for his message to be passed down through the generations. Because God knew there's something special about music. Why do you think Christians sing all the time? God knew there was something special about music. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy. Verse 14, God says to Moses, hey, the time is coming for you to die. And then you get to verse 19, and God tells him the plan. Like, okay, you're about to die. Write a song. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't, it, it's not what most of us would think, but that was God's plan. God wanted the next generation, to remember the things that he was going to tell them. And specifically, God wanted the next generation of people to remember that no matter how far they went, God was still here and they could come back to him. And that one day, even though they messed everything up, God would avenge his people. God would protect his people. God would restore his people. Something special about music, right? And now we get to this point where Moses writes the song, he recites the song to the people of Israel, then he blesses all the people of Israel, and then, wow, Moses crosses the finish line. Moses is at the end. Chapter 34, verse 1. But before Moses dies, God lets him see the land. God lets him see what has been promised to his people. 
Verse 1, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. This picture is probably what Moses would have been looking at from the top of Mount Nebo. Moses looking out on the land that God had promised to him and to his ancestors. Deuteronomy 34, verse 4, the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. We've been tracking with this group of people. Began with a man named Abraham. God told Abraham that he was going to bless him and provide this land for him. And it has not been an easy journey, has it? It's been a difficult, painful journey by every stretch of the imagination. God's people were enslaved. No rights. Exploited. No freedoms. Sleepless nights. Wandering in the desert. But God saw what they were going through. God looked down on his people, and the Bible says that God heard the cries of his people. And God sent someone named Moses. And Moses courageously, sometimes timidly, led his people through a journey that I don't think any of us could ever imagine. 40 years of refinement in the desert. Escape from a, a tyrant in Egypt. And here they are, right on the verge, ready to cross into the land that God promised them. Moses isn't going to go there, though. In 1849, a woman named Harriet Tubman made a decision to run away from the plantation in Maryland where she was enslaved. And she ran, and she ran, and she ran. Through rivers, over mountains, she ran through the night. She was aiming to get to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania at the time was a free state. She knew that if she could get there, she could have some sort of freedom. And in the movie entitled Harriet, it tracks her as she, she's running away from her enslavers and she's running through the night and she's struggling and she's hiding and she's trying all she can to get to freedom. And there's this moving scene in the movie where she finally crosses the state line into Pennsylvania. And she knows as she has crossed that line that she can finally be free. Her biographer in, in the biography of her life writes these words to describe what happened. Or actually, these are a quote from Harriet. She says, when I found I had crossed that line into Pennsylvania, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees over the fields. I felt like I was in heaven. And Harriet has this almost Moses-like experience. 
as she's looking out across the countryside in Pennsylvania, she realizes that the land in front of her is so different from the land that's behind her. And here we have God's people. After centuries of wondering, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, do you care about us? Here they are standing on the verge of what God has promised them. And and I don't want you to leave this moment yet. I want you to picture with me that you're with Moses on that mountain looking out on the land that God has promised. I want you to feel the dust on your feet from 40 years of wandering in the desert. As you stand with Moses up on top of Mount Nebo, I want you to feel the cool breeze blowing on your face as you look west and you see all the land of Judah that God has promised to your people. I want you to feel the heaviness and the importance of this moment as they are ready finally to move into the land that God has promised. And right there, on top of Mount Nebo, Moses breathes his last breath on this planet. Verse 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. The end of an era has come. Anybody feel sad? This week I was, I was reading this, and when I got to the end of Deuteronomy, I was like, whew, Moses is gone? I mean, I know the end of the story, too, but Moses is gone? That's how it feels when someone larger than life dies, isn't it? He was larger than life. Chapter 34, verse 10, it says, There's not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all the people. He was a special person. He knew God in a special way. Verse 10 says, there hasn't come anybody who's quite like Moses. But to Joshua will come the job of leading God's people into the promised land. Verse 9, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses has laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, I could tell you that even though Moses is dead... God would one day send Jesus to ultimately lead his people into the eternal promised land. And is that true? Yes, that is true. I could tell you that Moses faced death and he stayed dead. But Jesus faced death and he defeated it. Would that be true? Oh, yeah. I could tell you that The word Jesus in Greek, Jesus, is the same word as Joshua, the one chosen to succeed Moses. And I could tell you that Jesus is the ultimate Joshua who will lead his people to victory. And would that be true? Oh, yeah. But I'm not going to tell you any of that today. 
Because that's not how the book of Deuteronomy ends. The book of Deuteronomy ends and it, it feels a little jarring. Moses is gone. And we know from what we learned today, God cares about his people. He cares deeply for them. He even gave them a song. We know that God has acted miraculously in the past, and we know he's going to do it in the future. We know God has chosen the next leader, and the next leader is the right person to lead them. But Moses is dead. What happens next? Are they going to continue on this journey? Are they going to cross that river? Well, I'm not going to tell you. You got to come back next week. Or, hey, we like the Bible here. Maybe you can turn the page in your Bible and find out what happens next. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that even though these words were written so long ago, your presence with us is just as real as it was for Moses and Joshua and all the ordinary people of Israel who just day in and day out, they had to go to work, they had to provide food. They had to earn money. <laughs> Your presence is just as real for us as it was for those people thousands of years ago, and we thank you so much for that. And God, I just pray that you would take these words, and Lord, that you would use them this week to transform us as a community of faith, to be the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, the kind of people that reflect your values and your love for a world that desperately needs to know that you love them. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.